A great place to start is the Gospels, right? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is the first Gospel. And so um, pretty early in the book, as you can tell, Jesus climbs up the hill and begins, you know, three chapters worth of teaching. And so we usually have made it at least that far. And that's why I say most of us have probably read some, if not all, of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I want you to think back to the times where you may have read it, and maybe you've been reading it as we've been going through this series, but think, think about the core of what Jesus is saying. Think about um, just the main thing that he's talking about. Uh, Jesus was basically laying out before all of these people two ways and, and two gates. He says over in chapter 7, enter, the, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad. That way, that gate is wide and broad that leads to destruction. And then he describes another gate. There are many who enter through the destructive gate, but the gate is small and the way is narrow, the one that leads to life, and very few find it. He's giving this message two ways, two gates. He talks about two fruits. He basically says there a good fruit, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad fruit can't produce good fruit. So he's given all of these things. And another time he basically says, you know, you, you can call me Lord, Lord, all day long, but that's not what pleases the Father. What pleases the Father is when you make me the Lord of your life. And so he's going through all this stuff, and, and we, we know all these things. We read things like in James chapter 1, don't just listen to God's Word, but actually do it. You've got to do what it says, otherwise you're looking like a fool. You're acting like a fool. In fact, if you want to write something down this morning, we'll start with this. We'll kind of let, let this be the, the kickstart. You guys know how to kickstart a motorcycle? Well, this is the kickstart this morning. Calling Jesus Lord, Lord is not enough. We have to live under His Lordship. Okay, it should be on the screen. You can write that down. Calling Jesus Lord. Lord, Lord, didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we come to church? Didn't we? Listen, that's good stuff, but it's not enough. You have to live under His, his Lordship. And it was a hard message for these people to hear. And they probably had the opportunity to respond in one of a couple of ways. They could have, you know, they could have walked away. I mean, I hear what he says, but I'm walking away because this guy is nuts. This guy is crazy. Think of all the people. If they thought that John the Baptist was nuts, which a lot of people did, especially he dressed funny and ate weird things. But Jesus furthered that message, took it to the nth degree, and was performing all kinds of miracles and stuff. They couldn't make heads or tail if he was from God or if he was from devil, from the devil. In fact, he was accused of, of healing people in the name of Beelzebub or the devil. And so people were like, whatever. So there were a lot of people that walked away. But listen, there were enough who heard this, and there was a hungering and there was a thirsting for more of what he was saying. And so they continually listened. They kept going. They obeyed. And they were blessed. And I can guarantee you the ones that walked away because they thought Jesus were crazy, was crazy were disappointed because they took the road that led to destruction. But the ones that hungered for more of what Jesus was saying, they were blessed because they had chosen a narrower road that fewer take, that fewer find. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, basically. Those that hunger and thirst for more of God's will... Um, and for more of his ways, and how they will, and we will be richly blessed when we do that. Um, so basically, the, the one we're reading is, Blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. Now, some of your versions say, may say justice or something different, but the right, accurate translation for that is really um, 
uh, righteousness, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then it says, they shall be satisfied. Now I can remember whenever I was a young, freshly saved youth pastor, I remember teaching on this. I remember it very well. And I think, I think the message title that I gave it back then, you know, you have to title it for teenagers. I guess I still title them. I just don't tell you the titles. But it was how to hanker for Jesus. How to hanker for Jesus. And that's, I mean, it kind of sounds cheesy, but that it wasn't a terrible title because to hanker means to long for, to have a great desire for, uh, to yearn for. I can remember we, we had a hanker for Jesus and the worship team did that, I want to yearn for you. You guys remember that song? Well, that's what I taught on that morning. And I remember, listen, I taught, it was actually at night, I taught on how to hanker for Jesus, and, uh, and I, played, I played this clip. Maybe some of you have seen this before. Bang, bang, bang! Oh, howdy, partner. Time for timer. Do you ever get that hungry feeling after school? Boy, I do. I'm so hungry, I could eat a wagon wheel. When I'm slow on the draw and I need something to chaw, I hanker for a hunk of cheese. When my ten-gallon hats are feeling five gallons flat, I got something planned, which is little cheese sandwiches. Come on! Here's a great little snack to tide you over till dinner. If you want something delicious and nutritious, cheese is a super snack. Look, a wagon wheel. When my get-up-and-go has got up and went, I hanker for a hunk of cheese. When I'm dancing, I hold down and my boots kind of slow down, or any time I'm weak in the knees. I hanker for a hunk of, a slab or slice a chunk of, a snack or day is a winner, and yet won't spoil my dinner. I hanker for a hunk of cheese. Yahoo! You guys remember that? Raise your hand if you remember that. Raise it high. Got one thing to say to you. You're old. That was a little commercial that they, uh, that they would show on Saturday morning cartoons. I don't know if it was promoting healthy eating or, or what, but you got to hanker for a hunk of cheese. And so I talked about how you got to hanker for Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, my point back then, <laughs> my point whenever I was teaching the kids was basically you got to be careful that we don't put hankering for cheese or pizza or whatever on the same level as hungering and thirsting for, for Jesus, because it's, it's not the same thing. And that's a great message, and it's still true today. But listen, the bigger truth, the bigger reality, is that a person is going to wither away and die if they don't get food and water. Is this true, or is this not? If a person does not get food or water, they are going to wither away. They are going to die. I want you to visualize uh, a person who is emaciated, a person who is malnourished, is wasting away from a lack of nourishment. Listen, I know this is kind of harsh to say that, but I'm not the one that created that principle. God did. You don't eat, you don't drink, you're going to wither away, you're going to die. So get that picture. Think of someone that maybe you've seen a picture of a, of a starving country, or even in this country there are people that, that, that are starving or whatever. But our body responds to a lack of nourishment, a lack of food, a lack of water, by withering away. The, the, the fat, the stuff goes away, and all that's left is bones. And so you can get that idea of skin and bones. And another idea that you get of someone that is emaciated, someone that is skin and bones, is that there's no life there. That every ounce of energy that they have left almost goes towards just breathing. I have just enough energy because of my lack of food, my lack of water, just to breathe. And listen, it's the same way for our spiritual life. If we are malnourished, 
spiritually, and we've heard this before, so we, we get it, we know it, but if we're malnourished spiritually, we will wither away. And people who are spiritually starved are like skin and bone Christians. Think about it. Believers that are spiritually starved are kind of skin and bone Christians. Not a whole lot there. Not a whole lot going on. Not a whole lot of life going on there. I call them barely breathing Christians. Like I am here, I'm alive, but I am barely breathing. That's why at Soma we put every bit of effort that we can to provide an atmosphere, whether it's on a Sunday morning or a Bible study or life groups, to feed you guys because we love Jesus, (laughs) okay? And we love you. You guys remember when Jesus asked Peter after Peter failed and he was kind of reinstating him and forgiving him. He said, Peter, do you love me? Asked him three times. Yes, Lord, I love you. When feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, tend my sheep. We love you because we love the Lord. And our, our, we try very hard to feed you because we don't want you to be skin and bone Christians. We don't want you to be people who have no life in you, but people who have vibrant life, life uh, abundant, like Jesus said. And so, um, do you love me? Then feed me. And he's not talking about cheese. He's not talking about having a hanker, <laughs> hankering for a hunk of cheese. He's telling people to show them the Father that they may do his will. In fact, I want you to write this down. Doing the will of the Father is food for those who follow Christ. Doing the will of the Father, and this is really the essence of what we're talking about this morning. Doing the will of the Father is food for those who follow Christ. Why? Because that's, Jesus himself said, that's what sustains me. That's what keeps me going. That's what gives me life. Remember in John chapter 4, he's, he's, uh, he shouldn't have even been talking to this Samaritan woman because she was Samaritan and because she was a woman, but it was at the well. Remember the conversation about spirit and truth worship. And he has this big, long conversation, and the disciples had gone away to get some food. They come back and see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman, and they're like, what is he doing? So the woman goes away. She, basically, the Lord led her to the Lord. Jesus, Jesus led her to himself. Um, and she goes away and talks to the whole village, and they all get saved. But as, as she walks away, the disciples are like, uh, Jesus, what's going on? Uh, hey, man, we got some food. You hungry? And he said, I have food that you know nothing about. In fact, his exact quote was, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so if that's spiritual food for Jesus to do the will of the Father, then it's also spiritual food for anybody who is following Christ. If that's what motivated, if that is what energized and gave Jesus the nourishment and strength, and man, if I didn't do anything else, I could do this. And it's got to be the same for us because he is in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit. Uh, if, I was thinking about this week, if I, if I were to quiz everybody in here on what righteousness is, uh, we might get all kinds of answers, but I would think that a lot of the answers would center around um, cleanness. How many of you would say, I'd probably write something about being clean. If I said, what is righteousness to you, how many of you would probably put something about being clean? Yeah. Because essentially that is what it means, declared right, being clean, being justified before God, being proven, um, having our sins acquitted, uh, all of those kinds of things, being restored. But listen, I want to show you that, that it is that, but it's so much more than that. When you read Scripture and you consider righteousness, it's, kind of, it's more of a 3D thing. It's more than just, oh, I'm clean, I'm righteous, I'm clean. Okay, Because if it was just that, then we really wouldn't have much to ponder because we know because of the blood of Jesus at Calvary, our sins were wiped away. All we have to do is believe in Him. But listen, it really is more than that. And I want to give you real quickly 
um, kind of a 3D picture of righteousness. And the first thing, if we're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness, the first thing that we're hungering and thirsting for is a righteous God. Write that down. God himself is righteous. He is righteous. It's who he is. He is righteous. Paul said in Ephesians, to, he's telling us to put on a new self, the self that, that we have in Christ Jesus. He said, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So it's basically saying you want to be righteous, then you are created righteous in the one who is righteous. God is righteous. And so part of hungering and thirsting for righteous, part of feeding ourselves, part of getting that nourishment is to, um, to press into hunger and thirst for God himself. You know, if you were to strip away all the benefits, strip away all the, all the things, just me and God, there is something about hungering and thirsting for that alone. Now, granted, we know, we've been talking about, there's benefits to knowing God. But what if there weren't hungering and thirsting for God alone, you know? Another thing, another dimension, another D, is uh, the righteous law. So we, we hunger and thirst for God himself, but to hunger and thirst for righteousness also means hungering for his righteous law. In other words, what he wants, what he is after, and what he has written down, which is the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. He, he goes on for three chapters talking about um, the law. And really, he's, he's giving this beautiful fulfillment of the law that Israel and all the um, Israelites and Jewish people had followed for so long. And, he, you know, we've talked about all that. But he's saying, um, he's basically giving, you've heard it said this. Well, I'm telling you not to not think about that anymore, but to think of this. We always use the example of murder. You've heard it say, do not commit murder. I'm telling you, don't even think evil in someone's heart. So it's not that he's getting rid of that law. He's kind of adding to it and saying it's actually it's a higher standard than that. And so part of hungering and thirsting for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for the very words that he's saying. I'm laying out some, you could call them rules if you want to. I don't care. You know, it is a rule if, in, in God's eyes. If you lust after a woman in your heart, then you have committed adultery. I didn't make the rule. I'm just following the rule. You hear what I'm saying? And so, but that's part of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, hungering for who God is, but also hungering for his law, hungering for his word. And the third thing is um, righteous acts. If you're going to hunger and thirst, you want to hunger for righteous acts. Righteousness is also doing the right thing according to his law, according to his word. So you could, you could write that this way, righteous acts or how we live. So that's kind of a three-dimensional look at righteousness. It's not just, oh, I need to be clean. I'm clean. Because here's the deal. Sometimes we don't feel clean because the enemy comes in and he says, you're not clean. And he tries to bring condemnation in there. Of course, there's not, there's not condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so he plays this game with us that um, he's not even following by the rules. We are made righteous, and we're going to talk about this in a second, through Christ Jesus. Okay? But I'm talking about this whole bigger picture there. Um, um, some people can hunt. Well, we're going to get there. Can we just get there? Can we get there? I was getting ahead of myself. So think of it this way, a three-dimensional righteousness, righteous God, righteous law, righteous acts, and then you can spell it out this way. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to strongly desire Him, strongly desire God, okay? To strongly desire His Word, and to strongly desire obeying Him. Now, if we were to do another pop quiz based upon those things, how are you at strongly desiring Him, strongly desiring the Word, in the same intensity that I haven't eaten in a week? I, I, gotta, I will eat dirt if I have to. 
that kind of intensity, desiring Him, desiring His Word, and then desiring to obey. Think about that. Wow. I have such a longing, a hankering, a desire, a hunger, and a thirst. I gotta obey. Wow. But that's what Jesus is talking about. And remember, if you were here the last, uh, last week specifically, we talked a lot about sin. Okay? That's why the front row isn't filled up as much as... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but this is on the cusp of that. This is right after um, saying how um, blessed are those who mourn, who mourn over sin, who mourn over um, ugliness, uh, breaking God's heart, who mourn not just our personal sin, but the sin around us, the depravity of the world. And the next thing he says, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness to please God, who are desiring... Uh, strongly desiring Him, His Word, and then to obey. Now, I want to do something. I said that I was going to try to cover the Beatitudes. There's nine of them. I was going to try to cover them in three or four weeks, and I think I still may do it. But I'm actually only going to cover one this morning, hungering thirst for righteousness. But what I am going to do is I'm going to pull from a future sermon on the mount. Okay, so real quick, look at Matthew 5, verse 20. Matthew 5, verse 20. Because we're in the same realm. And again, the whole Sermon on the Mount is pointing people in this direction of righteousness. But you see it really very clearly here. It says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness... This is verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is a very bold statement. It's bold because, you know, scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, were there listening to it. And so it's like you know, talking about somebody right in front of them, you know. Did you hear about Johnny? He's stupid, you know. Johnny's like, dude, I'm right here, you know. But Jesus was doing that, and he didn't care because he was speaking the truth, of course. So now listen, I want to, I want to kind of show you a couple of things I want to talk about. He says, um, he talks about your righteousness, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. We're going to call that their righteousness. And then he talks about the kingdom of heaven. And so really quick, look at this. I say to you, and he's talking to the multitudes, I say to you that unless your righteousness, okay, and when he says that, what he's doing, he's not saying, you shouldn't have a righteousness, I'm going to attack your righteousness right now, just like I'm doing the Pharisees. That's not, he's actually doing the exact opposite. He is affirming that there is a righteousness that the people hearing should possess. Your righteousness, and he says, in fact, your righteousness, the righteousness that you should be aware of, have, own, work towards, should be that which is greater than the religious leaders and the pompous, arrogant, selfish people, okay? So this idea of your righteousness, is he's, he's legit about this. He's for real. You need to have a righteousness. But here's the deal, and this is where we, we don't get it. The righteousness that he is telling them and will continue to tell them about for three chapters is a righteousness that can only be achieved or attained through him, through Jesus. So he's not, he's not describing this works-oriented thing. He's describing a saved by grace through faith thing. In fact, there's a couple of scriptures. In fact, I'm going to real quick, I'm going to read the message version of this. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matter of right living... This is the message version. Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering into the kingdom of heaven. And so the first thing he addresses is your righteousness. And again, it's in context. We've been talking about Jesus' use of words and idioms in the context of what he's talking about. He goes on to describe a righteousness that can only be fulfilled in him. Remember, um, I got so much to say, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, okay? 
Remember that an anchor verse for us during this series is Psalm 24. Um, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may climb the holy hill of the Lord? That's why this series is called Climb. He's trying to get us to climb to the place where God wants us, which is righteous in His presence, living for Him. Who may climb the holy hill of the Lord? Who may ascend? Um, who may stand in his, uh, in his holy place? goes on to say, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't lift his soul up to an idol, um, who just swears by what is false. And then look what he says, very, the very next thing. Uh, and we talked about the blessing a couple weeks ago. But he shall receive a blessing from the Lord. Everybody say, from. And righteousness from. Okay, now get this. The person who is ascending the hill of the Lord, who is really working, who is pursuing God, who is hungering and thirsting for God, is heading in a direction. And because they're heading in that direction, there is something that God is giving as a gift. And it is a blessing. And it is righteousness. But it's from God. It's, it's, not, it's not the fact that they are having clean hands and a pure heart. I mean, that's, that's part of it. But this, the key to it is right here where he says, who doesn't lift his soul up to idols? Because I can do right things and I can um, not do unright things and still have idols all in my life. Does that make sense? So it's not necessarily about having clean hands. Well, I've never done that in my life. <laughs> no, but you bow down to totem poles. You know what I mean? So... It's not about that. It's about, um, it about putting him at the center. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord, righteousness from God of his salvation. And, and in the New Testament talks about that too. Paul said in, in Ephesians, he writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2, and he says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So when he says your righteousness, he's talking about a righteousness that a righteousness that comes from God through Christ simply by putting your, your faith in Him. Any righteousness that we attain or achieve to comes from God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, you guys get that? We preach that a lot, so that's not new to you. But just to affirm, Jesus isn't saying you got this righteousness and they got this righteousness. He's saying your righteousness should and will, and hopefully after you hear this great Sermon on the Mount, will come from God through me. I want to read Philippians, so go ahead and turn there. Read Philippians 3 to you because this, is, this is, hits it. Hits it hard. Philippians 3. Because really, if we can get this, this, um, this part, the next part will just fall right in line. So I'm spending more, part, uh, more time on this. Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. And he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, through obeying the law. Remember that phrase. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. He's he's speaking forward to the day where He will be Um, with God in heaven. Then look what he says, pressing on towards the goal. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. This is good to know. The Apostle Paul didn't even feel like he was there. 
or that have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling. I'm going to keep reading. Let us all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have made already. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are I'm sorry, shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Okay, now he's talking um, about all kinds of people, but we'll talk about it in a second. Verse 19, they are headed for destruction. Remember that? The two paths, the gate and the way. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about their life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like, um, like His own, using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but right here you see kind of the working of that Matthew 5 thing right here, kind of the heart of it. I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness or goes far beyond the lives and living of the religious people, you will not enter the kingdom of herring, uh, heaven and you herring, <laughs> the kingdom of herring. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> but you see it right there, all of those little things right there. Um, and so, again, he writes to Galatians. You see that all over his writing, it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says, it is through faith in Christ that a person, a righteous person, has life. But listen, that's, and this is what he was talking about in Philippians. That's what the religious people were trying to do. They were trying to get to God, inherit the kingdom of God, be, please God by doing all this works oriented stuff. They were trying to uh, keep the law. And that was the second thing I want to talk about really quick. There's your righteousness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you're trying to get there in any other way, it ain't going to work. And then he says, it must exceed the righteousness of the um, uh, scribes and Pharisees. And I'm just going to call it their righteousness. We're just going to talk about their righteousness. Your righteousness versus their righteousness. Your righteousness is found in Jesus Christ and that alone. Not the amount of good stuff you can do. Not the amount of prayers that you can do. Not your perfect attendance in church and that kind of stuff. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. But he talks about their righteousness. And your righteousness is found only in Christ. But their righteousness was found in the law and I'll just say it like this, and in their labor. In other words, they were doing, 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 doing. And not just the law, the Pharisees and the scribes, particularly the Pharisees, were creating their own new laws. They were making stuff up to follow. And part of that is because God had been silent for 400 years. You guys know the story. And they're like, we haven't heard from God in so long, and we just don't feel close to Him. Let's create things to abide by or labor by so that we can feel better about ourselves. So this is a righteousness. You can write this down. I don't know if it's on the screen. But this is a righteousness that's called self-righteousness. 
I'm, I'm self-righteous whenever I'm trying to do things that I'm making up in my own mind or that I think are the best way to do things or, or whatever. And th- they were huge about this. Don't carry your mat on Sunday. What are you talking about? And Jesus said, what are you talking about? All these rules that they, and there was hundreds of them, these rules that they made up so that they could feel pious and feel like they were doing something. And I, I'm going to get on a soapbox. I won't stand on that, but pretend like I'm on a soapbox. Listen, we do this in all kinds of ways. One of the, one of the worst times that I can remember, I'm, I feel terrible about, I know I'm forgiven though. When I was a youth pastor, um, uh, the Lord of the Rings had come out. And I didn't know, I didn't read the Lord of the Rings. I had never heard anything about the Lord of the Rings. And so it came out with a series of other movies that were controversial. Is that ungodly? Is it? And so in my mind, of course, I was a new believer and immature. I thought Lord of the Rings was wrong. Can you imagine? I thought Lord of the Rings was from the devil. I mean, look at those creatures. And part of that is, well, whatever, I won't go into that. But I thought it was from the devil. And there's this one kid in our youth group. And he was just all about it. I mean, all about it. He was, everything was Lord of the Rings. And I had to get with him. I think I called him out from the stage in youth one time. I was a terrible youth pastor. I wasn't, but in that moment I was. And I said, you know, Lord of the Rings is from the devil, basically. And everybody's like, this guy's a kook, you know. And I was on that point. But I just didn't know. In my mind, I had created this law, this rule, this level of righteousness. And I self-righteously operated out of that and judged according to it. Does that make sense? Let me say this. We, we do the same thing on a daily basis. Uh, and I'm going to say this, it may ruffle some feathers. But you know, you have people that homeschool their kids and people that put their kids in public school. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Exactly. You have people that have their babies at home. You have their people that have their babies at the hospital. Let me ask you something. How's your baby doing? Does it matter? No. You have people that, um, let's think of another one. I don't know. You know, there's all kinds. Listen, we get to these things and we, these little arguments and these little things going on about these things that are really just self-righteous attitudes. Something that some, we think it's right because we've heard that it was right. Or Listen, those kinds of things are not kingdom issues at all. If you want to put your kid in public school, put them in public school. If you want to do private school, put them in private school. If you want to homeschool them, you're brave. That's all I'm saying. Okay? If you want to give your kids shots because you feel like that's the way God's telling you to protect your kids, give them shots. It takes faith. If you feel like you shouldn't give your kids shots, okay. I think you're acting in faith. Either way. Right? Right? You guys hear what I'm saying? Just to get it out of the way, say, ouch. If it doesn't apply to you, that's fine. But it's a perfect example of this self-righteous thing. Rules that we create or that we adhere to that really aren't even kingdom issues. Remember what he says at the tail end of this verse. Um, Or this one. He says, uh, where is it? Scribes and Pharisees, unless, you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and um, Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's, he's saying, you know, it needs to be the right kind of righteousness, the right kind of issues. You guys hear what I'm saying? And on that note, and we'll end with this, because um, I could go in 10 different directions. But I will give you this real quick. 
Righteousness that is only on public display is called religion. I'll just say that right there. You guys can interpret that. Righteousness that is only on public display is called religion. Because in Romans, Paul talks about how um, they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, and so they sought to establish their own. And goes on to say they did not submit to God's righteousness, and that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were creating these laws, abide, abiding by them perfectly, and that's why Paul was saying himself, he said, you know, I used to act that way. I know what it's like, but now my righteousness is found in Jesus Christ and that alone. So if I'm judging myself and I'm judging others, it's based upon God's word. And I will, we'll, we'll judge based upon kingdom issues, not non-kingdom issues. Amen? And then, of course, we know the Pharisees, like I said, righteousness that is only a public display is called religion. We know that the Pharisees would pray out loud and they would make a big to-do about their righteousness and about their rule following. But Jesus addressed them on numerous occasions. Like Melissa said this morning, you, you acknowledge me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Amen? And that's called religion. And we can be just as guilty of it today. And so he says, unless... Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matter of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. And this is all I'm going to say about this. Um, Actually, turn to Matthew 6. It's just right down the road there. I'm going to bring one more scripture into it from the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 1, look what it says. Beware of practicing your righteousness. In other words, your strong desires for God. He says your righteousness again, the good kind. You're supposed to have righteousness. Beware of practicing your strong desires for pursuing God before men to be noticed by them, which is what he was talking about in um, chapter 5 there. And then look what he says. Otherwise, if you do, if you, practice a, if you practice a righteousness that borderlines religion or falls into that category, he says you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Now looking back to this, this beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And there's really two levels of reward or satisfaction here um, when he talks about the kingdom and, and the rewards. And one is, one is that heavenly thing. Whenever I, whenever I die, I will go to heaven. But listen, Jesus talked plenty enough for we, to where we should be able to get it that he, he also says that heaven can be here on earth that I can be satisfied, I can experience joy, hope, bliss, I can be abundantly happy, that's the whole point of the Beatitudes, here while I'm on this earth. I don't have to be miserable while I'm here and look forward to um, satisfaction there. He's talking about a satisfaction that comes daily. And so if you were to bottom line it, we will truly live when we are truly living to please the Lord. We will truly live. We won't be emaciated, bone you know, showing Christians, no life Christians when we are truly living, when we are pursuing righteousness, when we are desiring Him strongly, when we are desiring His Word strongly, when we are pursuing, desiring, hungering, thirsting to obey Him. And I'll just close with this. That is not something that you can just, that you can just wave a magic wand and it happened. It is something... Just like if you were going to, we talked about the acquiring taste kind of thing. You know, some people love chocolate. Some people hate chocolate. I don't get that. But some people love chocolate. Some people hate chocolate. Some people, they get their, um, you know, they love, what gets them going is, is pizza. Other people, it's 
hamburgers, whatever, you know? If you grew up eating pizza but never ham- hamburgers, you may not choose hamburgers. You're probably going to choose pizza and vice versa. Well, that's how it works with the Lord. You have, to, you have to feed yourself that for there to be a hunger and desire for that. I don't even know if I hunger for God himself that way. Dive in. I don't know if I hunger for his word that way. Dive in. It will come. I don't know. Well, you might answer this way. I know I don't hunger to obey. Listen, when you, when you develop a hunger and thirst for God himself and for his word, you don't even really have to worry about the obey part. It just naturally follows suit. Amen? Let's stand.